This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, including the recently released Liar's Paradox, found new characters Jack and Jill, which by now everybody should have read, and if not, shame on you. And this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And can I just say, since we're talking about Liar's Paradox, I had, I had read it before. I'm listening to the audiobook now, and I don't get to drive that much now, so I don't I don't have a lot of listening time. And I was one of those people who really wanted Hillary to do the book, Hillary Huber. And I I'm really enjoying uh, the narrator who's who did this. It took me a chapter or so to just get used to that and get over my disappointment that it wasn't Hillary. But she's doing a fantastic job, and it's it's just so nice to have someone narrate the story to me at a pace where I can absorb it all. It's just, it's a different experience than reading for me. And so, I mean, kudos. The, the book is fantastic. The audio book is fantastic. Um, if, you, if you guys out there haven't read it yet, you've got to get it. You've got to read it. And if you're at all interested in audiobooks, check out the audiobook as, as well because it's, it's quite good. That makes me super happy. Thank you. Now, we actually have a topic that's not about your books, but it's, it's about empathy and, and the use of empathy as a tool for writers, which sort of takes us right into our chit-chat for today because I'm feeling <laughs> badly for you because <laughs> you've got some sick people in the house. I do. We rolled in New Year's with the flu, type <laughs> A, which is the bad one. Um, I've never really been super scared of the flu because I generally have a super healthy immune system, but this time it hit really fast and really hard and unexpectedly, like we have no idea where it came from. And um, I got coughed all over and sneezed all over and everything before we realized what it was because it, it, like I said, it came on really fast and eventually it was like, holy crap, we've got to go to the emergency room. This is on New Year's Day, oh. spent New Year's Day in the emergency room. And while I'm feeling very empathetic for said sick individual, I'm also feeling pity for me because at this point it's like nearly guaranteed that I'm going to get it, which is when the medical staff are like, you need to take Tamiflu. And I'm like, what is this Tamiflu? And I'd heard about it, you know, when bird flu was all like the year that we, we had were all going to die. We were all going to die. And so basically Tamiflu is an antiviral that it, it works for specifically for flu type A's, maybe for two flu type B's. And it, um, it prevents the virus from replicating itself. So, you know, when we get sick, it's, Every time we get exposed to something, it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to 100% come down with it. Like your body's immune system may be able to fight it off before the virus over, we get, you get the overload. And when it overloads, then you come down with whatever. And I'm not a medical person, so please, medical people, if I'm saying it all wrong, don't be mad at me, okay? I'm just doing my best here. I'm just a poor little girl. Um, so anyway, um, the, the goal of taking it prophylactically is that, or preventatively, is that 
the virus never has a chance to build up enough in your system and you don't come down with the flu. So I'm taking it, hoping I don't get the flu because I have events coming up and it's like this is going to be a freaking nightmare. So yes, this is how we rolled in the new year. Well, in two or three weeks, we're going to have to have like a catch-up chat in terms of all the events that you did and just you know, share some of the excitement of the events. I, I, I would like to do that, but it's too soon because you've, they're, they're scattered about, and I'd, I'd like to wait until they're mostly over. And, and I want to express my empathy for anyone that has to be in the emergency room on a day when Ohio State is playing in the Rose Bowl. I, that is <laughs> oh, horrific, and, and that really triggered my sense of empathy. Yeah, that was the least of my worries. But thank you, Steve. Thank you for the empathy. <laughs> All right. And with that, I think we can get to today's topic. So, Taylor, we're talking about empathy today. Let's get this ball, let's get this show rolling. Okay. So, as you all know, in all of the promotion leading up to the launch of Liar's Paradox and, you know, Q&A and blogs and whatever, I've been doing a lot of those types of things, uh, the right, like putting pieces together. And it, it causes me to think about a lot of stuff uh, as it relates to the writing process. And one of the the key concepts that I kind of zeroed in on, and um, I don't know how or if or where it'll end up getting used, but it's it really stuck in my head at the time that I was working this piece is the subject of empathy and how empathy can actually be one of the biggest tools in the writer toolbox. You know, we talk about, oh, how do you do descriptions? How do you create authentic characters? How do you, you know, what's a good villain? What's a good hero and all this kind of stuff. But underneath it, ultimately, you're, you as the author, you're the creator. And your villains and heroes and, you know, side characters can only ever be as real and authentic as you, the author, are capable of creating them. And there's sort of this myth in the reading mind that when a really authentic character shows up in your work, that surely it must be somehow autobiograph autobiographical <laughs> or based on someone that you know or whatever. And, you know, maybe it's true for most authors, for some authors, but of those that I know, that's never the case. The thing that allows those authors to create characters so realistic that they appear to be real is empathy. The ability to take a situation that they've been in or experienced or that they know of someone and transform it by crawling into the skin of something that doesn't exist and transposing the emotions, the reactions onto those characters. Or in the case of, you know, villains, some authors create villains that are so real that you've got to wonder what the heck is going on inside that author's brain. Like, is this some secret, you know, fetish or side criminal job that they've got going on that they're able to articulate it so well? And I mean, far be it for me to say it never happens, but uh, it's empathy. It's the ability to say, all right, we see this evil in the world. What would cause someone who does these types of things to believe that they are morally right for doing them? And to be able to put yourself into that mindset, not to 
agree with it, but to understand it. And that empathy allows you to create incredibly authentic characters because their motives and their their decisions and the actions that they take are consistent to that character. And in this day and age, you know, I, I, I spend far more time online with, you know, caricatures of people than I do in real life, which is sad, but so it goes being an author. And, you know, I, I follow discussions and blogs and forums and Twitter debates and whatever. And what I see in this day and age is so much a lack of empathy. And it's really easy to feel empathy for people you agree with, people that or situations that are already aligned with your worldview. That doesn't even count. It's the ones that don't align with your worldview that are really hard to empathize with. Sometimes even horrific situations are hard to empathize with because it's so repulsive to the way that you feel, the way that you see things. And you see it, you know, in the political spectrum where one side will, you know, just views the others as barely human. Um, the other, you know, all the labels and the pejorative terms and, and whatnot. And, you know, that's human nature. It's going to happen. It is what it is. But as an author, somebody who's seeking to create authentic characters and books that come alive is incredibly counterproductive to your goal to be that way. If you are incapable of crawling into your enemy's head and understanding what drives them, doesn't mean approving of it, just means understanding it, then you cannot create authentic characters that do not align with your worldview. And that means you are going to have very narrow stories. And people who maybe think differently than you do, they're going to pick up on that. And they're going to have a problem and you are with what you're writing and you're going to be cutting off half your audience or a third or whatever, depending on what it is you're talking about, simply because you're incapable of empathizing with something you disagree with. So I've talked before in my emails about how uh, criticism is incredibly counterproductive to creativity. And I'm not talking about constructive criticism where you analyze what somebody did and why and what worked and what didn't. I'm talking about that, you know, wholesale shame, mockery, throwing people under the bus and tearing them apart because it feels good, that you get this sense of satisfaction from putting someone else down and, and ripping them apart. That type of behavior is also very counterproductive to creativity because the creative, the creative soul is very, very timid, and it doesn't thrive in a, a, an environment where it feels under attack. In order to silence the negativity and silence the voices that, that keep you from progressing and, and doing what you need to do, you have to be able to not have that negativity. And if you are spewing it at other people, then it's there, present, and your subconscious is highly aware of it, and it will be nervous about the same being spewed back at it. So the, the best way to feed the creativity 
is through empathy and through being able to be kind and open. And that openness to the world and to ideas that you may find abhorrent, um, the, open, the willingness to, to look at them and say, this is why I disagree. I think that you still are a hero in your own story. And to you, that seems right. That is what allows you to to see the world from a very, very broad, broad sense. And it bring, it allows you to bring that into your storytelling as well. This is a really interesting topic, and I'm, I'm glad we're kicking off the year with this. I read a series of books over the course of the last six weeks or so. And I'm not going to go into detail about the books, but one of the characters was so flawed and had a belief system that was so different than mine that I could not wrap my my mind around her method of thinking, but I couldn't take my eyes off the page when she was on the page because of the author's empathy for her and her situation. And it never really came out as, oh, poor her or oh, poor, you know, and it was never anything like that. It was just like, this is the way she is, and this is the way she makes decisions, and that's it. And it was it was so consistent all the way through. It, it was just it's riveting. It's it's um, and it all comes down to what you were talking about there: the empathy that this author had for that character that just brought her to life in such a way. And she was not the main character in the book or in, in any of the stories. She's a, a leading character, but not the main character. And it's a, a story that's told in first person and it's never her. So we just see the way she thinks kind of through conversation and actions and, and things like that. And it's, it's fascinating. And I, I myself have a great deal of difficulty writing characters who I don't agree with. And I can see how, in listening to you, what a problem that is and how one-dimensional it it can make stories by not having these other characters in there. I'm I'm thinking this is the one thing that uh, it's almost become a joke with me. You know, when people ask me, Oh, how much of Monroe is based on you? All of you it. know, and and it, and it, now I say all of it. You know, I used to get really offended, and it was like, well, how much of Carrie do you think was based on Stephen King? You know, um, but but now in this conversation, I think back on the situation of Stephen King and Carrie, and you know, it is empathy that allows a grown man to write a teenage girl in that that type of of story. Uh, you can't do it without empathy and create a character that you can hate and love at the same time. It's just not possible. So, um, and then, you know, on the subject of empathy too, I'm thinking that the environment we live in right now is one of extreme outrage where we, we move from outrage to outrage to outrage. And, um, the, if, if you're one of those people who tries to be empathetic and say, Oh, I don't agree with what happened here, but I can understand that here's some considerations that might not be being taken into account through this outrage, then you're going to be destroyed, utterly, completely (laughs) destroyed online by the outrage and people who automatically 
assume that empathizing with the situation of someone automatically means you are approving of that situation and automatically therefore means you are anti whatever the the thing that the people who are outraging about are in favor of so in in this type of environment it it creates a very strong sense of groupthink adherence where you don't want to step out of line especially not publicly because you're going to become annihilated. Now, if you're with a group of people who think like you do, then it's a little safer, but then you shut yourself off from what the other outgroup is thinking. And it's really, people who are really entrenched in this type of thinking will listen to what I'm saying and think that I'm pointing fingers at the people that they hate, but I'm not. (laughs) I'm pointing (laughs) fingers at everybody, including myself. And where this ties into writing is that when you live in that type of environment, it can affect you in your storytelling as well. You may feel like you want to have a character that does something, but it's an unfavorable point of view. And you're afraid that, you know, you're going to get latched onto like you're promoting that type of thinking or whatever the character did. And and it could happen. It there are people who are so wrapped up in this sense of outrage that they will find a way to do that. So that is a risk. But by being in this environment that is so like this in, in this day and age, it it can bleed into your fiction. And so you have to make a conscious effort to go. No, you know I understand that this is the way things are right now. But I myself determine that I'm going to be a well-rounded person. I can be sensitive in the things that I write, you know, to avoid stereotypical cliches and things that are deliberately offensive. But you have to decide that this is just what you're going to do. If you want to write a character and it's going to make people mad because you're appropriating something that they feel that you don't have a right to appropriate, that's between you and the page. The point is to be able to empathize and to be able to to not hole up in your own positions. You can believe believe whatever you want. That's fine. But to to really effectively create moving stories that speak beyond the pettiness of today's headlines, it takes going deeper and it takes being willing to open yourself up to being wrong. It takes being willing to to see through the eyes of someone you hate. It takes being willing to embrace humanity as a whole. And that would be my message for 2019. <laughs> All right. So I have no follow-up to that other than to say thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for being here for another year as we roll into 2019 with The Taylor Stevens Show. And we will be back again next week. Yes, we will. And hopefully you'll still be with us and not outraged. (laughs) (laughs) We have to work that into our tagline somehow. That's great. (laughs) 